Good Sunday morning, Iowa. It's Dr. Rick Godding. Thank you for choosing to spend a little time here with me today. And of course, this previous week we had the uh, anniversary of D-Day. I always make sure that my daughters, you know, I try to give them a sense of of history and, you know, how we got here. And my youngest has watched Saving Private Ryan with me, which if you have not seen is just an absolutely amazing film about uh, a bunch of soldiers, carries them from the Normandy invasion onward. And spoiler alert is Private Ryan's from Iowa. (laughs) So probably most people have seen it. It's not new. But anyway, you know, when you watch that, that movie, especially the first 10 minutes and you see what happened on D-Day, man, you, you get this appreciation for, you know, you can look back into the past and say, you know, we had problems in this country and we certainly did, but at the same time, could we muster that if we had to today? First of all, we wouldn't be able to find enough healthy <laughs> young people. I read that some shocking shocking number it was over 50 I want to say it was 70% of military age recruits were ineligible either for health or criminal background reasons it was it was the number was just absolutely overwhelming I actually could not believe it but it's uh you know you you look back and you see those old movies and not that one of course that but that one it was set in the 40s but you see you see things from that time frame in the 40s, 50s, 60s, even when I was young, you know, and all the levels of obesity and things that have just really exploded in this country. And, and, you know, it's interesting because workforce is a crisis right now. And I don't know. I mean, people I talk to across every, certainly in healthcare, I mean, there's absolutely a workforce crisis in healthcare. There are hospitals in this state that have shut down tremendous numbers of rooms because they flat cannot get enough nurses to work. And I think, you know, okay, so you can say, well, COVID probably burned out a lot of people. And then, of course, you had the problem during COVID and afterwards you had all these travelers and they were traveling nurses. So they were live in one place and go do an assignment somewhere else and they'd make a lot more money. And so that hurts the hospital, but helps the hospital at the same time. And so you had all these conflicting issues, but it's not just in healthcare. It's in every sector. I talk to people, I talk to my patients all the time who own businesses and just flat cannot get it. And they say it, it almost doesn't matter what you pay. There's just not enough people. And, you know, I think I mentioned before the guy who does the uh, dirty jobs, I can't remember his name, but there's a show called dirty jobs and he's a real blue collar guy and, and goes around and, you know, shows people the kind of jobs people have to do to keep this whole show running this society that we live in. And he said that there are two people coming into the trades for every five leaving every year, which is, you know, the trades would include, you know, carpentry, electrician. I mean, we, we see the same thing in farming, right? I mean, <laughs> I rarely see a farmer under 50. That's for sure. And you wonder, I mean, 
where is everybody? So there were all these bonuses that I guess people got to sit home during COVID, but those are ending. I mean, where are all the workers? And I, I'm asking that rhetorically because I don't think anybody really has a good idea of where they are. And like I said, I talk to people in very broad, I mean, restaurants, uh, pharmacies, any manual labor jobs, of course, and they just can't seem to find workers. So it's it's really strange to me, and I don't I don't know. I did watch a fascinating documentary the other day. It was called Birth Gap, Birth Gap, and they basically looked at the demographics of mostly the Western world, but the entire world, and said we are really in the middle of an ongoing population collapse, and nobody. People are not paying any attention to it, and it's going to be devastating. I know that in the documentary they said that there are fewer under five-year-old children in the United States than there were when Reagan was president, and we have 100 million more people. Think about that. Think about how, how much. And the United States is just barely replacing population with birth rate. Uh, they're barely at or just a little bit under uh, population based on birth rate. And so the baby boom is moving through. The generations before it or, or after it are are smaller. And places like Germany and Denmark and places like that, Japan, Japan's in a catastrophe. A lot of these countries are literally making it where you get a year off of work paid and they will pay you for your kids. I mean, they're basically paying people to have babies and cannot seem to get people to have babies. And it's not just sort of the Western developed world. It's, it's all over. Um, even a lot of countries in Africa and, you know, and it's interesting cause you wonder, you know, there's a lot of factors, obviously some of the things that are held out as factors is the, lower fertility rate in men and women and basically due to the fact that we're swimming in a soup of chemicals all the time I mean I'm as we're speaking as I'm speaking I'm drinking out of a plastic cup that probably has what they call phthalates p-h-a-l-a-t-e-s phthalates in it and those are endocrine disruptors and so you know I, I, I was very with my kids when they were young, I was always trying to use the best soap and the least amount of plastic and stuff, but you just can't. It would be a full-time job to try to keep all of the toxins out of your system. And so that has reduced sperm counts and reduced female fertility. And then you have, you know, a lot of people who are just listening to the the catastrophization of the world and oh it's such a terrible world you shouldn't bring children into it and we're overpopulating well we're our population of the world is growing but it's in the movie they showed how you can still be growing as the bottom end is shrinking and then all of a sudden you'll have a a really dramatic collapse now i mean who knows um but they've been talking about overpopulation for Decades, centuries, really. Thomas Malthus, I mean, was was in the 1700s. And I wonder, you know, how much of it it all works together because certainly there is a lack of work ethic 
in the younger population. And I, you know, you can say that old people always say that about young people. Yeah. Okay. A little bit, but you look at the data and, and you just, you know, look at the kids, you know, and, and how many of them are working and how many of them are really hustling. And I mean, there's some for sure, but it's just not at the level. And I don't know. I mean, it's just, I guess for me, I started with a, well, with a lawnmower and a snow shovel when I was about eight. And I used to, we used to, when I lived in a small town in Illinois, we used to, my brother and I would walk around. If it snowed, man, we grabbed the shovels and we were knock on doors, shove your driveway for $2, shove your driveway for $3 and, you know, drag the lawnmower around. Somebody's lawn looked long. Somebody's grass looked long and you say, Hey, you want me? Then paper out and then worked in restaurants, worked in a water park and it was carpenter during the summers and late high school and college and worked in a movie theater, auto parts store, grocery store. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. Now, one of the things that's very interesting about that, just as an aside, is every time I go to Fairway, they just seem to have really good young kids who give very good service. I mean, and that's not just here in Carroll. I see that in Des Moines as well. Uh, those are the only kind of two places that I typically will go. But even, even I've stopped in different places, and it just, somehow their, their culture at that place is able to attract young kids who clean cut and working hard. And so that's good. I mean, there's, it's not like I'm saying there's no hope, but man, I just can't figure out how all of these industries at the same time are having to reduce hours, close stores, shut down rooms in hospitals. And, uh, yeah, I just can't, I just can't get it figured out. But Anyway, that's just somehow I got from D-Day to that. <laughs> but that's that's kind of how I go. But, um, yeah, so now we are uh, moving on into the summer. I have started, I did my first clinic at Audubon County Hospital. And I uh, had a really good experience down there. It was a very nice, clean hospital. Uh, everybody was very attentive to making sure that I got everything I needed and, uh, yeah, I was, I was really happy with that and uh, saw a few patients and that's kind of how it starts is, you know, whenever you're starting at a, at a new place, um, the first, you don't expect to walk into 15 or 20 patients on the first day. And I saw, I believe six, which wasn't too bad. And, uh, the idea is they're not the size of the hospital and the size of the population in the County doesn't, uh, wouldn't support a full-time orthopedic surgeon. And they kind of lost their association with the previous orthopedic surgeon and group, and they were looking for somebody. And so I asked my the CEO to uh, reach out to them, and it just seemed like everybody was kind of on the same page. They wanted orthopedics or looking to, you know, obviously expand the footprint of the practice here. So I went and, uh, and really did had just had a, a great experience and I'm looking forward to continuing working down there. It's a critical access hospital. So what that means is it's a federal designation. They have 25 beds, but they're focused less on acute care, meaning 
they're more focused on sort of skilled care and things like that. And they have an emergency room. They have a general surgeon who does cases and a, uh, a podiatrist from Carol here goes down. And uh, so, yeah, it's just interesting that this, this rural healthcare system in Iowa is interesting because Iowa has a huge number of uh, county hospitals. And some of those counties don't have the population to support all the services in the hospital. So you kind of see a lot of doctors moving from one place to another to try to service the populations. And uh, we have a bunch of hospitals surrounding Carroll here that just don't really kind of have the population in their county to support full-time specialists. Now, Carroll, because the hospital's bigger and, and has... St. Anthony's has, it's the biggest hospital, again, between Sioux City, Omaha, and Des Moines. It's kind of like right in the middle of the three of those. And so in between there is all small 25-bed hospitals, and St. Anthony's is significantly bigger. And we have two cardiologists, a general surgeon with another coming. I'm talking about doctors that practice full-time at the hospital. So there's me, a general surgeon, there's another general surgeon coming, there's two cardiologists there's a cancer center which i mean you just small hospitals can't really have a cancer center and so all of these things because they're sort of centrally located and a lot of it makes the the population for the hospital be much bigger than the population of the county and carroll county in and of itself is about thirty thousand, and can sustain a lot more than some of the other counties but anyway Overall, in Iowa, there are a lot of small county hospitals, and I know that the the uh, legislator and the legislature and the governor are working on trying to sort of streamline the process where the hospitals can have sort of a regional center, a lot a lot more regional centers, rural regional centers. So. You know, Carol's obviously well-suited for that, and you know, wherever else they would be in the state. So you might have a four-county area, and one of the hospitals in that county is sort of designated to have a higher level of service. That's kind of the model because it's challenging to get enough staff out into the rural areas. And just like I was talking about, with it's challenging to get staff everywhere. But also, I mean, I don't know if there are even enough orthopedic surgeons in the state to have one in every county hospital. So, you know, obviously you got to figure out a way to make it all work. And um, so we're working on, we have, I think we have a good solid partnership with Audubon. I think it's something that'll be good for both. I'm going to do smaller cases there. Joint replacement I'm going to do at St. Anthony's and there's reasons for that. Number one, we have the Mako robot. And so, but also all of the data, when you look at complications after hip and knee replacements, the number one controllable factor for complications is the volume of the surgeon and the volume of the hospital. So if you have a hospital that's doing fewer than 50 joints in a year, all the complication rates are higher. And the same if you have a surgeon who's doing fewer than 50 joints in a year, all the complication rates are higher. So, you know, we do hundreds a year here in Carroll. And so 
that's kind of the reason that I'll be bringing the joint replacements from, from Audubon over to here. But in Audubon, I'll be able to do shoulder arthroscopies, knee arthroscopies, carpal tunnel stuff, trigger fingers, tennis elbows, smaller fractures that come in through the ER, wrist fractures and ankles and things like that. So, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be a, everybody down there is extremely nice and very professional and everything was, it was just top notch. It was a really good experience and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to continuing that out. Uh, well, you know, listen, this is, my intention is to, that this is where I finish my career. So I have, depending on, you know, a variety of factors, probably seven, eight years left. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy working in Carroll and, uh, I've, I've enjoyed getting started in Audubon and, and, uh, and I think it's a good partnership and I think that it can help both hospitals and, you know, cause otherwise a lot of the times people from Audubon were going over to council bluffs and that's 85 miles. So it's just 30 mile jaunt up here to Carroll. So it's, uh, kind of good for everybody, but, uh, I do think that that this is kind of how things are going to go. I know the governor is kind of pushing for some reimbursement changes that are going to allow these relationships to develop more fully. But it, you know, things are working through the legislative process is slow. <laughs> first, you, first everybody has to agree on an idea, but they are they are aware of it. Uh, but overall, I think things are are pretty solid out in rural Iowa. Uh, we just have, you know, some of the problems that come along with the uh, with personnel. So, so anyway, just a quick update on on D Day and rural healthcare in Iowa, <laughs> and uh, I hope everybody is having a wonderful summer. And uh, I will be back uh, next week. So you have a blessed week, Iowa.